All right, guys, let's talk about Jägermeister. They could have written a totally normal ad here, like a really classic ad. They could have talked about their history, the 56 botanicals. It could have been all salesy and cutesy, but they know you don't care. Jägermeister doesn't want to be like all those other ads you've seen and heard. They just wanted to say two things. Jägermeister is great, but everyone has been drinking it wrong. Damn, that's cold. Drinking it wrong? All right, if that's the case, how should we be drinking it? They are so glad you asked, and so am I, Dad. I'm here to help you. Ice cold is the answer, at zero degrees Fahrenheit to be exact. Ice cold shots of Jägermeister. That's it. That's all they want to tell you. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends or at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume, imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. It's a beautiful morning. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Michael Jr. And that is me. With me, as always, steaming Brandon Newman. Brandon, what's going on? Feeling great, Mike. How about yourself? I'm very excited to hear about your night last night. Yeah, uh, no, I, I, I got to actually uh, go out and do real live sports, not as someone covering them, which was an awesome experience here because as we get ready for everything that's coming up on this show, I got to go and check out the um, Dolphins and Chargers game in person at SoFi. And man, I got to tell you, like, Outside of all the on-field stuff that we'll get to, we had a great show. We'll talk about that game, some other struggling potential uh, playoff teams in the mix, and Dan Campbell's gigantic balls. Mm. Um, mm -mm -mm. Onions, Mike. But, uh, Kids are listening. No, no, I'm just calling them balls straight mm -hmm. up. And we're we're in a world post-South uh, Carolina-Tennessee game where saying nuts in an interview is also something that athletes are permitted to do. And that was True. big drop your nuts. That was big drop your nuts game there. But... Brandon, going to SoFi for the first time out here and getting to see a Chargers game specifically in person, yeah, I was struck by one thing that I know people always talk about mm -hmm. and that I knew was a phenomenon, but I had not experienced in person. And dear God, those poor guys are really playing home road games every time they step out on the field. Every time. I... I wasn't sure if it was just like a crowd that wasn't sure when to cheer at the right spots or what. No, no, no. That was a Miami Dolphins home game in Southern California yes. last night. And more evidence to this, Mike. During the game, you could see the long snapper get up from the stands. Uh, the long snapper for the Dolphins get up from the stands and start hyping up the crowd like he was at home. It's like, come on, guys. It's third down. We need you. The hardest working person in that stadium, bar none, I was up. So my dad was doing the Sunday night broadcast for Westwood One NFL Radio. Yes. And we were in the suite where they were doing the game. And right in the booth next to us, I was sitting eye level with them the entire time, was the in-stadium PA announcer. Ooh. And this man and his crew 
were working so hard to try and get Chargers fans up and out of their seats and to get them to get loud on third down and all of these things. And this is not to slander Chargers fans that exist. It's just to acknowledge the reality of that environment that that man was out there trying to do yeoman's work in getting whatever portion of the crowd that actually did support the Chargers to loudly do so and drown out all the Dolphins fans that were there. My- I salute and applaud that man and his team's effort. Just like Jesus Christ's sheep needed a shepherd, them Chargers fans that need convincing to stay in their fandom there in L.A., uh, they, they, need, they need a little help. They need a little uh, assuaging, if you will. Yeah, and you know what? They got that help from their team last night, I will say. So that it, whoa, whoa, it was whoa, whoa, fun to – yeah. Before you go what? into the actual sports, this is a podcast, and I just want to let you know, and we're friends – I do want to one day on this podcast ask you about how much fun you had last night and it was a date that you went on. So we'll just visit that episode later on. I just wanted to, you know, just put that in the airwaves. I don't really, man, you really shoehorned that in there. Did my mom (laughs) pay you to do that? No, it's just the way I asked you about last night. It just felt like it felt like it was more weighted, and I just want to, you know, just if anyone else was like hoping that that was the case, I was like, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there, listening audience. Oh, I just figured the audience knew well enough that that wasn't the case at this point. They're like, oh yeah, Mike went to a sporting event. He did real life sports in 2022. That's what we've become accustomed to around this podcast. By the way, speaking of this podcast, make sure you download it, subscribe it, rate it, and review it wherever you get your podcast. Please leave us that five star rating and check us out on the DraftKings YouTube channel. Uh, we will also have weekend roses for you guys coming up today, um, as well as one of the most staggering golf facts that I have ever heard. But Brandon, uh, let's talk about uh, that game that actually happened last night. Um, that was billed really as the quarterback matchup in this game. We have talked about before on this podcast the Tua and Justin Herbert conversation that's been happening, especially this season, has been fascinating would be the right word if it wasn't so toxic and messy most of the time because they have sort of become this proxy for a conversation about what a quarterback is and isn't supposed to accomplish and how much of that is supposed to be based on their ability, how much we allow for the circumstances to be talked about when discussing high-end quarterback play. And I think all of it came to a head last night because when you look at this game and the way that it transpired between these two teams, both of them are in very similar stations in life. Now, Less so about their current status as far as playoff teams. Miami's a lot more solid on that front than the Chargers are at this juncture. But coming into this game, right, you look at both of these teams. Offensively, both have been beat up along the line of scrimmage for most of the year. The Dolphins had missed three starters on their own line last week. They got one back in Teron Armstead for last night, although he was certainly playing at less than 100% the way most are. Both of these teams have been banged up at wide receiver. Mike Williams, star wide receiver for the Chargers, hadn't played since the first quarter of Week 11 until last night. Keenan Allen's missed time this year. Both of those guys have played plenty banged up. We've talked about how many different receivers Justin Herbert's thrown to. Just like on the Dolphins side, uh, Tyreek Hill ended up playing a lot of that game with a little bit of a banged up ankle, was certainly yep. less than 100%. Jalen Waddle's been less than 100% in the last few weeks. And defensively, both teams have been far less than stellar. The Dolphins' pass defense is 
is near what the Chargers' pass defenses looks like. This Chargers team that's already has Joey Bosa on IR was without Sebastian Joseph Day last night. Was missing guys in their secondary, including Derwin James, who might be the best player on the team. So right. I just want to frame it like that because both of these teams are beat up in similar ways. One team had a quarterback that was able to overcome that. The other team did not. And part of that, we can talk about coaching. We can talk about the job that Brandon Staley did. But I think at a base level, what you saw last night was all of the physical ability and the reasons that so many people have gone to bat for Justin Herbert, even amidst times where it hasn't always looked perfect for the Chargers, were on display because physically he can just do things that Tua is not capable of. And that showed up in big moments last night. And it's why the Chargers went out and regardless of the final score, because the Miami Dolphins scored on one of the weirdest fumble scrums I've ever seen in my Man. life, that fine, that touchdown was not really indicative of offensive success there. The Chargers, even in an offense that's not really called very well, that frustrates people at times structurally, got the plays it needed because Justin Herbert was good enough to avoid the tons of pressure that he dealt with all night and then make some pretty incredible throws to those two banged-up receivers. Even though it was a quarterback battle last night and it was billed to be so why at the end of the game did it feel like that Brandon Staley just like saved his job for a little bit or even like gave himself a little bit more leeway well because it definitely was a Brandon Staley oh this guy's a great defensive coach game Mm -hmm. right people might still have questions about him as a head coach but game plan wise what Brandon Staley did last night really followed suit from last week in the Dolphins game against the 49ers. And I think if there's anything that gives Dolphins fans pause, it's not that Tua is all of a sudden bad. Tua played a bad game and did not look very good. Tua is not all of a sudden a bad quarterback. But what would concern me as a Dolphins fan is wondering if people think the book is out on you now. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of people looked at the last couple of weeks and said, all right, The 49ers started getting up and getting physical at the line of scrimmage with these wide receivers. Because, Brandon, you know how this goes. With small, fast guys, they don't like to get touched up. Mm -hmm. And especially if they're not feeling 100% the way Tyreek Hill was, you could read the body language the whole time. When those guys would go down on those long, deep passes after Brandon Staley had these corners up jamming them at the line of scrimmage, walking back towards the line, walking back towards the sideline, every injury and every ache and pain starts to hit a little bit more because they're Ferraris. Like I always, I always made the analogy that. If you got guys that run like Ferraris and you get one rock that pops up in the engine or something like that, all of a sudden it throws everything off. If you're dealing with pickup trucks or 4x4s, those things can take a little bit more of a beating and keep going. This affects them a lot more comparatively. You saw that in the first quarter, Mike. Because obviously before the game, you talked about how Miami Dolphins were all together at UCLA for a long time, ignoring their family problems at home, just focusing on each other together as brothers. It looked like they had some edibles before the game, Mike. I was like, they may have been in L.A. a little bit too long. It just seemed like a too much of a sluggish start, like they were playing in, in Denver or something. It was, but I think a lot of that was how the Chargers chose to play them because Mm. when they got up there on early downs and decided to strap them up and play a ton of man coverage, which people had not done against the Dolphins all year because they're afraid of how fast these guys are. And then the 49ers kind of showed you there could be another way. The Dolphins or the Chargers played man coverage against the Dolphins on 51% of snaps last night. It was the most that the Dolphins had seen this season outside of Pittsburgh early in the year. And then I saw Nate Titan 
Nate Tice point this out over at The Athletic, that the Chargers ran some version of cover two, uh, cover six, which also has that same sort of shell, or two man against the Dolphins on 12 dropbacks and passing down. So second and seven plus, third and three plus, and two on those dropbacks, two of 10 for 21 yards, two sacks, and one first down. They were getting up and getting physical early, and then they were dropping back and giving two a lot to look at late in those downs. And similar, now, you know, you got to have fast bodies, certain body types, like the last two weeks that we've seen from these defenses, but kind of like with every really good offense, and we've seen this happen with Kansas City, we've seen this happen with the Bengals, at some point people are going to get around this long enough. Guys like Brandon Staley, who, think about his background, cut his teeth in that McVay coaching tree that's tangentially related to the Shanahan coaching tree, where Mike McDaniel comes from. I remember Jordan Rodriguez over at The Athletic wrote a great article about when Brandon Staley was still the D coordinator for the Los Angeles Rams, how him and Sean McVay went back and forth during training camp, and it was this iron sharpens iron battle of coaching wit in trying to figure out schematically how to go about doing that. Everything about Brandon Staley's defense and the way it's structured is built to try and work against some form or some variation of this offense. Mm. And so for him, to your original point about what a, a coup this was for Brandon Staley as a game, yeah, he absolutely gets brownie points for going out here and putting on a really sharp defensive clinic, building off the success the Niners had had the week before. I, it's I, it's hard for me to give him credit on defense, and obviously I had to swallow my tongue and all the crazy things I've said about the Chargers. They are a mediocre football team, and that is a, that's a elevation from what I thought they were before this game. But like with Jalen Phillips and, and Christian Wilkins, Wilkins, like I just think that the defense over there for Miami is just so fast and dangerous and strong that it made the Chargers look even better executing. Uh, against that defense they are up front for sure like Jalen Phillips has been Phillips has played really well this season Christian Wilkins who you mentioned has definitely had his like ascension year as a D tackle in this two and a half sacks before the half and I mean Justin Herbert was sacked four times overall in this game the degree of difficulty was high and those sacks came in different ways there were coverage sacks built in there there were sacks where he had no chance and was swallowed up right at the line of scrimmage all of those things, the Dolphins' pass defense, we know, has been suspect for most of the year. It's mm-hmm. not surprising that someone was able to move the ball on them in that way. And Lord knows the Chargers were not able to really get any sort of a ground game going, at least down in and down out basis. And so well, the defense Kelly. stepping up. Yeah, I, I, it, it, it all, that's why I mean, like, None of this is siloed down to just the quarterbacks. And if there's Mm -hmm. one thing that the debate about these two quarterbacks and these two teams have showed us is it's never just about one guy going out there and overcoming or being the only one who's a part of it because winning is complicated. But at some point, there's a reason that people constantly look to guys like Justin Herbert, guys like Trevor Lawrence who had a big day in Jacksonville, these guys with this freakish physical ability is because when all other things are equal and the house is kind of falling down around you, you've got to have someone who's able to overcome that stuff. And for being sacked four times still, Justin Herbert was under duress a lot more than that and managed to work his way out. They had him on a corner blitz, dead to rights. Big guy steps up, moves out around it, unleashes a laser for a first down. He did that so many times 
times on that night where he was able to get them out of a jam as an offensive line that was not like they have to call plays with the right side of that offensive line beat up enough to where they cannot be confident that they're going to be able to hold up in protection longer than two two and a half seconds and so it changes the way that they have to do everything and he's able to overcome a lot of that himself Okay, Mike, that that actually helps me understand what I was watching last night because I was like, why is such a gifted quarterback have so many plays where he throws the ball behind the line of scrimmage? Like it was so many like throws out to the flats as like a an extended handoff that I was just so confused of why he would try to like why aren't we using Justin Herbert's arm down the field? But that explains yeah, and. and well, and listen, the offensive coordinator is not blameless in this. There are still plenty of other teams. Like, hell, look at last year's Bengals team. Like, they still went bombs away plenty, even with an offensive line right. that couldn't block. The offensive coordinator is not blameless, but I do feel for him because they're on a backup right tackle. They're on a backup left. I mean, think about it. They're starting a backup at right tackle, hoping Trey Pipkins comes back down the stretch. A rookie at right guard. Their center, Corey Lindsley, just came back from a concussion last week where he missed the game. Their left tackle is a rookie who's backing up for the all pro that you drafted to actually be the blindside protector that doesn't sound like the most stable foundation and so yeah it affects everything everything that they do out here and that's the point is that the context matters for all of these guys Tyree Kill I mean for anyone and I've heard Dominique Foxworth and others try and throw out the idea that Tyree Kill should actually be in the MVP conversation this year if you're looking for a Tyree Kill as MVP impact type game where it's that Peyton Manning theory of when you remove them or you make them less than 100% and you see how it affects the team, last night was the game because Tyree Kill, and he, give him credit, he said himself after the game, we were all off tonight. I have to take accountability as a leader of this offense. I wasn't good enough for my quarterback. Did not try and throw blame on Tua. Those guys had his back publicly when asked about it but it also was indicative of how important Tyreek Hill is to that offense because when he's going around you could clearly see he was not able to move the way we're used to seeing him move which is in a freakish way and it completely affected that offense along with what Brandon Staley had dialed up defensively I I understand that Mike but I think that's why I always have a problem with wide receivers being the tone setters for an offense or or a team in general because yes Tyreek Hill left at least one touchdown on the field last night and still had two touchdowns one that that was counted as a as a as a fumble recovery and and got no yardage even though it was over 50 yards for for fantasy football people so it's hard for me to for him on a flat tire to have the game that he had and then for us to be like gosh yeah like Tariq Hill's got to be there for us, man. He's got to show up a little bit more. Yeah, but uh, that's that's sort of the reality of that situation and just how that offense had been structured this year, right? It's throwing to space. It's Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle being matchup nightmares down the field. Jalen Waddle had his and, first reception in the fourth quarter, though. I mean, like, is, is that yeah, Brandon Staley? Well, he, but it's 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 two guys that are they are built to win a very specific way, which also is concerning because down the stretch of the season now for Miami, a little less than a hundred percent at those skill spots, mm-hmm. and you're starting to go to places where it's going to be cold and miserable. Like that was a game in Los Angeles where it was a balmy fifty degrees in there, right. and that wasn't really going to be a factor in this game. But when you're getting to ready to play the Jets and the Patriots, and you've got the NFC or you the AFC East schedule to finish off your season in this last month, now all of a sudden you. Want wonder how this mechanically is going to work 
against some really good defenses in the Jets front four who's going to get after you and allow them to play coverage and has a DB and sauce, you know, has DBs that can get up here and do the thing that made you uncomfortable in this game. New England, who defensively is always going to be a live dog. And so all those things should be far more concerning to Dolphins fans than just, hey, you know what? Like very, very clearly what we can say is Tua just does not have as much physical ability as these other quarterbacks we're going to talk about. And I think part of this conversation is always an advert an aversion to admitting that mm-hmm. that we do all kind of as a public give more chances to the quarterbacks with freakish ability because we like watching that shit and yeah. because we also know that can get you out of some jams here that's why you draft mutants in the top five in the top 10 to try and go out there and be able to overcome some of the other mistakes that your team makes at certain points or some of the other roster limitation that happens it's not to say that Justin Herbert's always done that not by any stretch but it's saying we see it on display and nights like last night were a reminder of why his like he walked out of the hospital with more that's Mm. just that's just Mm. the bottom line of all that and so where most where where most people look at these situations I think with quarterbacks like him and like Trevor Lawrence as well you know because people I think sometimes get accused of holding on too long for guys with great ability guys with the first round draft cap, uh, pick next to their name and look at it as he's that bad guy with the great sex that you stay with in the relationship a little bit too long Amen. I'm saying that in this case it's a little bit more like someone who's in a relationship that might not be good for them in a lot of ways and you can see all the ways where if you put them in a different context they'd be better and we look at Justin Herbert and we say hey man if he just had a little bit more protection and an offense that was going to get him pushing the ball downfield more consistently like in this game I heard my dad and uh, and them in the broadcast booth talking they averaged like six uh six air yards per attempt or six air yards per completion they're near the bottom of the NFL in pushing the ball down the field and getting routes that actually have Justin Herbert throwing deep downfield versus Tua who is number one in that in the league like that offense Mm. wants to go ahead and throw this thing at everybody so you start and always wonder because of the ability that you see but it goes back to that is like hey as genuine generally as creatures we're wired to want to go watch the freaks do freaky things like that's that's what I come to sports for, right? I come to sports to watch people who have abilities that I could never dream of do things that I could never possibly try. Yeah, like uh, Cal Van Oy uh, brushing off the the rust and having a crazy, a crazy rush move that ended up when he sacked to a, the first sack of the season. Oh yeah, Cal Van Oy. like that was insane. That spin move was nasty. It was it was it was it was disgusting, Mike. But also, I felt bad for Tua in that instance. So. Let's celebrate Mike McDaniel real quick. Talking about flipping a, a franchise around. Like, I feel bad for the Dolphins. It's a very weird feeling. But you talked about the the uh, kind of the uh, boyfriend material difference between Tua and Herbert. It's almost as if Herbert is, like, definitely husband material. But, like, you're, key, you're not giving him... You're not giving him room to really mess up and, and kind of show his ass the way Tua has forced himself to be, and like now Tua is like perpetual like long term boyfriend relationship. Was like I, I don't see you say you say you can say he can find somewhere else to be, Mike, but I don't see anyone else other than like the Raiders looking at the the Dolphins and thinking like, oh yeah, let, let's let's bring him over, let's give him a try. Yeah, 
No, and, and again, it's it's the important part of both of these guys, right? The context of it matters. We feel like Tua's got a head coach that got his back. We feel like Tua's got a head coach who's a legitimate offensive weapon as a play yeah. caller. Mike McDaniel comes over with that kind of acumen from day one. We've seen it take root. We talked about it last week with Dad on this podcast some. Just how capable they have looked since he's come over in the circumstances that they did. That's what I mean. This isn't saying that the Tua situation isn't going to work for them long term but it's also an acknowledgement that like with a lot of other cases the circumstances matter and to and Tyreek might actually be the most important player to how that off offense functions and it's not a four-letter word but what we saw last night was Justin Herbert is 100% the most important functioning part of that offense and there were just time after time like I understand Acho's made the social media quarterback thing or the Twitter quarterback kind of like the term and the buzzword and all of this but there were those throws time after time last night I I I said I I was there they all looked really good offline and in real life too like it's and he wasn't the only one like Acho's not the only one that's gone and run with that notion by any means but it's it's one of those things that also like at a base level anyone listening you're not bad for hyping up cool throws that make it to the internet like that's what we're here to do. If you make them the base, the sole basis of your analysis, yes, that's not the way to go about this. We're not supposed to judge everything based off of those highlights. You're supposed to do more of the work than that. But also, this is sports, and cool shit's allowed to be cool. Yeah, I, well, to I don't know whose point this is making, but Patrick Mahomes flicking a football like a cigarette for a fifty-yard-plus touchdown pass. Eh, little style points there. Yeah. Oh no. Listen, and that's that's some cool shit. That's some absolutely cool shit. So yeah, uh, I I don't know. It was just it, it was fascinating to see that game side by side last night because again, you just saw how much more talent was at quarterback on one side than the other. And again, talent's not the only thing. Two is still good at plenty of stuff, yeah. but that base level talent showed up in places where the Chargers needed it bad in two teams that I think were in remarkably similar situations. And so again, shout out uh, to, you know, to Brandon Staley and what he put together. Shout out to Michael Davis, who stepped up at cornerback with some injuries and played yeah. an absolute whale of a game out there too, because putting guys in man coverage and pressing them up near the line of scrimmage puts those DBs in a compromised position. That's why we saw Tyreek Hill end up getting to burn somebody on a touchdown late because it is all risk it, tons of biscuit, all baked into there, and they managed to be successful with it more often than not. Speaking of biscuits and baked in there, how's the food over there at SoFi? Uh, strong to quite strong. I uh, okay. forgot after a year traveling around to college stadiums where sometimes the press box food was hit or miss yeah. that when you go to uh, grown-up NFL stadiums that are also brand-new palaces to football, that they would be out here uh, both riding around and getting it, a robust <laughs> dessert uh tray it looked like it looked like the dessert selection when you go to the movie theater had like candy and cupcakes oh, yeah. all sorts of stuff it was incredible so nice. yeah gold gold star for the folks at sofi on that front um brandon it, it's kind of interesting to consider um the dolphins among these teams of uh 
playoff teams right now is currently situated inside the playoff bracket yes. who had a really tough weekend because I think a lot of people as we started with December kind of got their nose bloodied like that for the Dolphins again the worry is not Tua the worry is have people kind of figured out as your receivers are starting to feel some of the war of attrition of shouldering such a big load this season have people kind of started to figure out hey, this is how we can approach this offense while your offensive line's beat up, and you've got to rely even more on these guys. Get up, get physical with them, and try and knock off the timing in this offense. There are some other teams that are kind of dealing with that right now. We saw the Cowboys big time get punched in the mouth as 16.5-point favorites against the Texans yesterday. The Vikings got flat-out beat by the Lions. The Ravens in a close, you know, the Ravens just lately in general with Lamar Jackson beat up. The Giants getting boat-raced by the Eagles. Like, there are a bunch of playoff teams as we hit December that are trending in the absolute opposite direction right now that would probably have me just as much if not more worried than a team like the Dolphins like the Vikings man the alarm's got to start to be sounding there at some point yes but a 10 win team and we know the Lions are actually kind of real so the the TJ Hawkinson revenge game yeah there's so many there's too many variables there for me to actually like really worry about the Vikings which you know, is is warranted, but I just have to give well, shout out to my stocking stuffer real quick because the Jacksonville Jaguars are also a team in the mix after upsetting the Titans that were firmly already in the mix in the playoffs. Yeah, well, I, the, I think the two that really look like they could like be a full on unraveling going on are the Giants and the Titans. Mm. Both of those teams, I think we've seen their best football for the season, right? And both of them got. Th- their asses pretty firmly whooped yesterday. And we can point to injury across the board, you know, for the Giants, Saquon Barkley, who is overwhelmingly their best option, came into that with a neck injury and, you know, was certainly limited in touches and how he could be effective there. But that defense just couldn't hold up against Philly and what they've become, which is a full blown wagon. That's the best team in football right now. It's, yes. you know, it's, We've it's gone back and forth with the Chiefs for a lot of the year and back and forth with the Bills for a lot of the year. Right now, the Eagles are playing the most complete football in the NFL and are arriving in a place where uh, I saw the stat yesterday from Tim McManus. The Eagles had A.J. Brown top the 1,000-yard mark at wide receiver, the first Eagles receiver to do that since 2014. Um, Miles Sanders, I believe, topped a thousand yards at running back, and him and Hertz both have at least ten rushing touchdowns each, which is the first time the Eagles have had multiple players reach that benchmark in a season. So this has a claim to be one of the best Philadelphia Eagles offenses ever, and certainly in a bunch of statistical categories, is the best one they've had around here since you know the days where like you know Andy Reid was in town. Yeah, I think it's uh, something that's 3,157 yards passing with 22 touchdowns and 10 rushing touchdowns on the season. Fourth quarterback ever to have 3,000 yards passing and 20 touchdowns uh, joining. It's, it's, it, I, I never like using the touchdown, the quarterback rushing statistics because everyone else that's in there is kind of underwhelming, but Kyler Murray, Cam Newton, and Cordell Stewart. But it's a reminder that very few people have done it, and you've got to be pretty special to do it. And Jalen Hurts is proving himself more and more special every week. But Brandon, to that extent, I think that's why – I think that's why for me it's the Cowboys and the Vikings that are the most troubling in what we saw this weekend. And the Cowboys, I know they get the credit of going out here and winning the thing. 
They get the credit of finding a way at the end. Dak Prescott leads them on a 98-yard drive when they had to have it at the end of this game. And you finish it off with Ezekiel Elliott touchdown. It's got all the makings of the thing that we love to do in sports, which is to say, yeah, you know what? Great teams find a way to win. But when you're a great team that's in the same division and going to be in the same side of the bracket as that Philadelphia Eagles team that is starting to really crescendo at the right time, all of a sudden that's got to be worrisome in the same way that for the Vikings, where you're not being judged on what you do now. They are going to win the North. Mm -hmm. That is going to be part of their future. But the conversation with them has been all year long. We know what you turn into when this gets to the postseason. We believe that this team with Kirk Cousins has a limit. And Kirk might not even be the problem. He played an exemplary football game yesterday. Threw the ball all over the yard. Incredible numbers on that game. However you want to slice it, if you want to put some of this on Kevin O'Connell for sticking with the run game for too long or not having the defense in a place to stop this, even though that offense is kind of a buzzsaw for the Lions, this Vikings team has all the makings of a squad that's going to go through this season, a double-digit win team who's going to win the North, and then who's going to get bounced early in the playoff as now. This has been the second time in a circumstance where we look on paper and see the records. We've looked up and the Vikings have been an underdog and then gone out there and gotten handled pretty well I know this game ended up being close enough late to where we got to some dicey moments but the Lions were very in control of this for a long time it looked like the other shoe finally fell for the Vikings and and it almost is like you are not we can't trust that number 10 that's in the win column Mike like obviously we know the Lions are good but the way they won it was like they were lucky to even be close with the Detroit Lions yeah, that that's the other thing that came out of that game is the Lions are now going to get their respect. I yes. saw Kevin Clark from The Ringer joke that a lot of sports media hacks who have been making the same kneecap-biting joke about the Lions for the last two years are probably going to have to upgrade their software. Because, man, you look at that team, we're going to have to talk about them as now a legit playoff contender down the stretch. Now, mathematically, it gets tough for them because down the stretch of the season, it is them, the Giants, the Seahawks, and the Commanders jockeying really for two spots in the expanded playoff format here. And the Lions have to win two more games than at least two of those teams in that foursome there. And they've got an easier schedule than those other teams down the stretch. It is very possible, but that defense still gives up a ton of yards. We've seen that they've struggled all year, even as Aiden Hutchinson has started to pick up steam down the stretch. But the fact that we can say that about a Lions team that lost four ga- five games in a row and now has turned it around and won five of their last six is massive for Dan Campbell, first and foremost. Because this was a guy that I was starting to worry about if he was going to be around to see the future of this team after laying the foundation that he had for the last couple years. Because they just lost too many close games. And at some point, you are going to be judged by that win-loss column for a quarterback or a coach. It's not saying those are a quarterback stat, but for a coach especially, at some point, the results have to be there for them to want to believe that you deserve to be around helping cook the ingredients. Um, Mike, the football field is is giving him credit for that as well. I say that to say Jamison Williams, first touchdown of the game, 41 yards, the, the rookie wide receiver that was the first-round draft pick and ha- we have not gotten a chance to see him. The fact that he made that big of an impact immediately, it's like, oh, we haven't been watching the team that, that we – we, this is a different team. Like, uh, as uh, the Pat McAfee shows, we talk about this is the brand new Lions. The, the new Lions are dangerous. 
They are. I mean, Ben Johnson's offense is so much fun to watch. And if there are people that are going to parachute in now because they haven't seen a lot of this before, yes. you're going to get to watch an offense that's incredibly versatile, that keeps defenses off balance, that uses a bunch of different personnel groups, that gets big to throw downfield, that gets small to run up front, has a really good athletic offensive line, which was on display in the most pivotal junctures of this game yesterday. Because Brandon, I know you saw with the chips online at the end of that game, the Lions are in a third and seven situation with a chance to get a first down and put the game on ice. And they decide to not only take their star right tackle, second year Penesul, the 22 year old out of Oregon, and put him in motion, a la, if you remember, that Trent Williams play from the 49ers that went viral last year where they put him in motion and sent him out to wreak havoc on the edge of a defense in a way that felt gross and unfair. They put Penesul in motion and they threw him the goddamn football. Brandon, the nuts on Dan Campbell's nuts have nuts. Dan Campbell doesn't need a wheelbarrow. He needs a dump truck. (laughs) For going out and putting those things in there. Dan Campbell's nuts have to have their own ticket when he flies. They have to have their own seat on the airplane. <laughs> in that situation, not only because in Brandon, and you know this, in most games in that situation, yeah. the conversation going on is, do you trust your quarterback enough to let them try and throw it for the win instead right. of just handing the ball off, milking clock, and then potentially punting? He said, not only do I trust my quarterback, I understand football, which is a game that boils down to this. Get your best athletes the ball in space. And the man wearing 58, who just happens to be a 330-pound mutant, is one of my best athletes. And so I will get him the ball in space. (laughs) Mike, talking about the gonads on uh, Dan Campbell, Man Campbell, I believe earlier on in the game, didn't they – do a fake punt, like a, a direct yes. snap fake punt for I think they were it was like uh, third or fourth and seven, like like in their own territory, Mike. Like the it wasn't just that one play; it was that that play was the cherry on top of uh, a game plan that was strictly you are not better than us. You can't stop these plays. Our our players are better than yours right now. Yeah, well, and and. The message that sends, because you're right, that's the message that sends to us and is constantly sent to the players on this Lions team. Right. Over and over again, the decisions that Dan Campbell makes, and I am comfortable saying nuts this many times on a podcast, one, because it's a podcast, not radio, and two, when they asked Panay Sewell about it after the game, he gave an all-time soundbite where he said, he goes, I, I wanted to say something bad, but he goes, he just... He's got like he basically said he's got big nuts on him. Like that's who Dan Campbell's always going to be, and that's why we love him. Dan Campbell is the actions matching the words over and over again. It is what he tells that team showing up on tape, and it has bitten them. Like it has also been part of why at certain junctures this team has lost a bunch of these close games. But if you're a player, one of the few things that you want to know you can count on is that your coach is going to be consistent in ways that support you. And man, Dan Campbell is consistent in the message that he sends and empowering his players over and over again. I would like to do, maybe this is too much, Mike, but if we can get somebody in, uh, maybe over there at Amazon, they can do some deep analytics. 
some shoulder to testicle rest ratio for your head coaches in the NFL. Like if we can buy how big your shoulders are, does that match how big your testicles are? And if we can just kind of just look at you in your team issued shirt and tell. Manalytics. Yes, manalytics. Yes, mansplaining almost in a way. <laughs> An actual explanation of men and not <laughs> and not what usual mansplaining uh locks into. It uh no, man, I, I, I'm excited to watch a nation now have to take the Detroit Lions seriously because we've loved them up on this podcast plenty and had yeah. to weather. I mean, listen, that's, they, they did lose five games in a row. It was going horribly for a while, and so maybe this is some regression to where this team w- would always be, right? Right around 500, a little bit under there is yeah. maybe what we expected at best. Going back, I think if you listen to the preview pods this season, I think we said this team being around 500 at best would be a win, but I think the way that they They've done it lately, and if they can keep this going down the stretch of the season, timing-wise, it, one, starts to grow the conversation we have with Trevor Sikama on this podcast about Jared Goff being good enough at the price that you have him at to maybe say, we don't have to draft a quarterback right now. We can focus resources on getting more over on the defensive side of the ball where our deficiencies really lie, as we've got young guys that we like, especially in that front seven, but not enough to go out there and keep that from being the weakness. Like, this offense is one of the best in the NFL by any statistical metric. They are not the problem. And so if while you've got Jared Goff on a deal that pays him well under what you would have to pay most normal quarterbacks in this spot for this kind of production, take advantage of that and maybe even trade back and get yourself some more assets. Yes, but I think the Lions need to bring in a consultant and realize they they need to uh, correct past bad behavior because in a sense when they have had – a good season, they tend to over aggressively draft one position, right? It's like, oh, let's get let's fix the wide receiver position every year, and then let's fix the defensive defensive tackles every year. It was like uh, Nadamikin Sue to Nick Fairley to there was another uh, like first round draft pick in the, as a defensive tackle. So all, I am looking forward to the next first round draft pick and Aiden Hutchinson, like kind of Spider Man memeing, looking at each other next season, like, okay, who's going to make more plays? Like whose whose defense does this belong to? Brandon Brandon's essentially saying Detroit you need to diversify y'all's bonds. Diversify the bonds, baby. They they, they need to bring in Wu Tang Financial as the consultant. It sounds like. Oh <laughs> uh, now, um, I, I'm very excited for that team. I'm very excited for our sweet boy, Man Campbell. I'm very excited, you mentioned, for Jameson Williams, who scored a 41-yard touchdown on his first NFL reception, finally making his way back from the injury that he suffered at the end of the year for Alabama last year. So, cool moments across the board for a team that is a ton of fun and kind of the opposite of what we've talked about, right, is a lot of those teams are trending downwards, and the Giants will certainly factor into the Lions' potential playoff hopes as a part of that group, along with the Seahawks, team who lost to the Panthers yesterday as well it's going to give them a chance as we've seen some of those struggles there um hey dad what do you do when you're out with friends the waiter comes up and tries to take everybody's order but the whole table freezes up and everyone's looking at each other trying to find some help Mm, that's a great question so what what should I do you should have some confidence, Dad, or as our friends at Jägermeister call it, shotfidence. If everyone's having trouble ordering, here's what you do. You take charge. You grab the bull by the horns. You find that dog in you, and you make an executive decision. And just order for the table a round of ice-cold Jägermeister shots. Damn, that's cold. 
Because apparently, we've all been drinking Jägermeister wrong. Did not know that. How should we be drinking it? Glad you asked, Dad. We should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit. Well, that brings up other things that I love ice cold as well. And I'll tell you right out of the gate, that's going to be a candy bar pulled out of the freezer. That's my way of eating candy. Oh, I love it. On the golf course out there, you get to the turn in the middle of the round there, and you get to that little clubhouse there, and they've always got the candy bar options, and I always see they've usually got a little box of them in the freezer, and it always makes it better on a hot day out on the golf course, taking a bite of that cold, cold chocolate and getting ready to go for the rest of my round. It's the same way with Jägermeister. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice-cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume, imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Brandon, we could talk more about some of the other struggles that we saw around the league tomorrow. Uh, we also can probably spend more time talking about the 49ers. Maybe Ooh. we have to upgrade them to still Super Bowl contender. Hey. I like I I don't I don't want to overreact too much because this Bucks team is bad. Oh, okay, Bucks team uh, is bad. Okay, okay, that okay, yes, that is fair, and I and it's something I don't consider. But Brock Purdy, Mike, yeah, Mike Brock Purdy. That's exactly the point we're at, Brandon. Okay, where everyone needs to loudly say Brock Purdy. <laughs> I mean, and just. Like, that's all you have to do. If you're walking into a situation with your friends today and they are anyone who's got any sort of football awareness, do exactly what Brandon Newman just did right there. And this is your conversation starter. This is all you, this is like a test. You know when they would do on shows that test where you send a text message and see what the response is? Just if you're around one of your friends today, just walk up to them and be like, hey, man, Brock Purdy? Um, and then just lay out and see how they fill the space. Hey, and, and how, how are you going to fill that space? Kids got some shit to him, man. Like, man. all that's... And, and I, I know we've talked about it. You brought up time and time again how so many of the guys on that defense talked about him. Yes. And you heard Trent Williams talk about the way he addresses the huddle is not how a rookie normally addresses the huddle. And all these things that I think on the surface I looked at is just good teammate stuff, right? This right. guy's going to be your quarterback for the rest of the season, and so you got to make sure that he feels like you've got his back publicly. That seems to be backed up by how he goes out and plays this game because he doesn't have to be Superman, and he seems to know it. Like, he might play with a mentality of that, but he understands in this offense, I just got to go out here and pew-pew this thing to the really good guys, and we're going to be in good shape. Uh, what are the conversations in that quarterback room, Mike? Because Brock Purdy said he was – or they talked about on the broadcast that he was giddy talking on the phone with his dad when he got drafted to the 49ers. He's like, Dad, like, I don't have to be the guy. Like, I could just I could just deliver this shit out, and, and everyone around me is so good. And, like, Jimmy G was obviously that, right? And then you got Trey Lance sitting there. He's like, okay, we have a, you know, a young version that won't make too many mistakes like that. But for that quarterback room to – see the rest of the team and like ask for autographs like it's the cutest shit ever it is it, like are oh, you talking about him uh what asking for autographs of like tom, or uh oh, talking no, about no, that, tom brady after the game i we'll get to that later we'll get to that later in roses mike but I'm, it, it's it, it's the mentality of the quarterbacks like usually on a football team everyone looks up at the quarterbacks like when the quarterback walks into the room at lunch you're like oh shit they go, you know what I mean? Here he come. Where he going to sit? You know what I mean? Where, but this this team, it seems like 
the respect is with the rest of the team and the quarterbacks are stewards trying to just help out. Well, the respect is with the coach because we talked about okay. this with Brandon Staley, right? How he gets a lot of credit for being a defensive coach. Mike McDaniel gets a lot of credit for what he's done with two in that offense. As a quarterback, you want to know, especially as a guy who's going to be drafted late, right? Mm-hmm. Like part of part of the difficulty late, of late. being Mister Mister Irrelevant is it robs you of choice. At the end of the draft, there's a lot of guys, especially in certain positions like that, that would rather go undrafted because yep. when you go undrafted, now all of a sudden you're getting recruited again. You've usually got multiple teams that are trying to jockey with you, and whether it's offering you bigger signing bonus money or the opportunity on the roster, you can kind of start to look around and pick what's the opportunity that's going to work best for me. And so getting picked dead last in the draft robs you of that choice if you're Brock Purdy, who is an accomplished college quarterback who might have had some suitors. But you got thrown the ultimate lifeline by going to the most quarterback-friendly offense in the NFL right now, bar none. And so, yeah, I mean, relative to what it looks like at the end there where you're wondering, all right, am I going to get a chance to actually affect my own future to – Oh, I, I, I just I found the oasis in the middle of the desert. That's what Brock Purdy's feeling, a hundred percent. And Mike Christian McCaffrey, like I, I, I want to. Oh man, I, there's just I don't I don't know, Mike. I, I want to talk about Brock Purdy, but uh, Chris McCaffrey is so special, and everyone on that on that team. Debo Samuel unfortunately went down after scoring the first touchdown. So how special he is, and, and George Kittle. It's just that team feels like the Eagles without the accolades in a weird, in a weird way. Like, like, okay, this team is definitely going to be in the NFC Championship game. Well, I mean, listen, they're the Eagles with a better defense, first and foremost. I mean, this might be the best defense in the conference, especially when they're fully healthy with Fred Warner and the guys that they've got on that side of the ball. But offensively, yeah, I mean, they're the Eagles. with Jalen Hurts is a much better quarterback than – you know, I think what they Any had in Jimmy. They've the, had out. Yeah, I would say he was a better quarterback than Jimmy Garoppolo. He's certainly a better quarterback than Brock Purdy now. But yes, very similar in that you've got a really good environment there. All the rest of the parts of this are super healthy. And that's got to yeah. be really encouraging to walk into that room and not feel like you're on an island. It's why we always talk about quarterbacks that end up falling even in the first round fall to better situations. Like Patrick Mahomes falling to the Kansas City Chiefs, he had to feel like he had died and gone to heaven because he wasn't walking into a situation right away where he's the only good player on the field. Right. Like looking around and seeing all those other guys and the weight that lifts off your shoulder as any quarterback, but especially as a young player, it's got to be incredible. It is, Mike, but I feel like this story is is tied around Tom Brady a little bit too much, too, where it's like I want to give all the flowers and the credit there, but uh, before the broadcast, they put up that Tom Brady was 7-0 and in regular season and playoffs against number one ranked defenses, and this is the first time he, he felt that loss. Like, you, we talked about the different headlines about Tom Brady actually looking human in this game. Like, there's something to the rise of Brock Purdy and this the stamp that the 49ers put on this game, obviously the Buccaneers being as bad as they are, but Tom Brady looking old, Tom Brady looking like he has to set aside his competitive fire to sign balls at the end of the game because people just need to get that Tom Brady time and he's too good of a guy to rob them from it regardless of how shitty his team played or Mike Adams, uh, Mike Evans dropping balls or uh, someone just can't, the holding penalty that brings back a touchdown. It's just like, Tom Brady is in a divorce with with football as well, it seems like. And he's just like, we have to watch it publicly. 
Yeah, well, and to your point about talking about them, that's why we haven't because they're a bad football team right now. Right. The, yeah. the Bucks are just a bad football team, and they're going to go on and likely win this division. Now, the Panthers can make it interesting because of this loss and because the Panthers win against the Seahawks. That now becomes closer in that division race, but the Bucks are probably going to be one of the worst division winners since that 7-9 and nine Seahawks team that hosted a playoff game. That's probably the reality, but we don't believe that they're really capable of anything beyond that. And I think that's why in this conversation and in assessing this game and the reason 49ers fans can start to go, Brock Purdy? Is not because we think right. Brock Purdy is going to be some revelation. It's because Brock Purdy knows exactly what he has to be in this offense, and they were able to go out and execute. Now, the Debo Samuel factor, and this is going to be one of the biggest factors going forward, carted off the field with an ankle injury in the second quarter. It seems like, by all accounts in the reporting, it wasn't a knee injury, and they recorded any sort of break or real structural damage. It looks like it's trending towards high ankle sprain for him. Right. And so, as long as they're able to get him healthy enough to be ready for the postseason, run they showed last night they've got the weapons to overcome it because they went out and beat the bucks like a bad team 35 to 7 in the nfl and how quickly they got out in front of them is going out and handling business the way a team with this kind of roster did the quarterback it's brock purdy is like just being a man in 2022 in general where the slightest bit of good that you do is going to be overblown to the highest order like if you hold the door open for somebody or are generally courteous like we've set the bar to tremendously low place brock purdy did not have a high bar to clear as far as what we needed to see out of him in that offense in order for us to feel good about the 49ers top end success going forward yeah i just think that I trust them. I trust them. I still trust them. And I think that's the biggest thing was that if, if Brock Purdy was going to make the 49ers look like they have a hole on that team and they it doesn't look like that. Nope. And listen, walked into a great a, a great situation. Antoine Winfield wasn't playing in this game. Vita Vea sure. left with injury in this game. Like the Bucks are bad. That is a sinking ship, pirate ship metaphor fully intended, but um uh, again, the 49ers going out and doing that and Brock Purdy doing it the way he did. Huge vote of confidence for them going forward. Certainly not one of the playoff teams that we talked about that's kind of worried about how they might slide down this last month of the season. Brandon, we'll get to plenty more on that top five, bottom five tomorrow. Look at the rest of uh, some of the big storylines around the NFL. But it's Monday around here. We give out roses. Uh, we are a Bachelor and Bachelorette podcast. Even though I was talking to someone the other day, sort of – kind of feeling myself transitioning from that franchise a little bit it just doesn't do it for me in the same ways that it's used to right now love is blind occupying a little bit more of my time starting to diversify that portfolio the nba playoffs are heating up and so is the action on DraftKings sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the nba with same game parlays live betting odds boosts and so much more don't miss out as the nba postseason winds down and now that the boston celtics have slayed the boogeyman in the miami heat Boston fans, we feel a little bit more confident about the situation. You can decide right now, and if you're new to DraftKings, you can also check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. 
In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. But regardless... We give out roses on Monday. Each of us gets two roses to give to a deserving recipient from the weekend. Brandon, would you like to start us off with your first rose? Yeah, Mike. I was going to give it to Tom Brady, to be honest with you, uh, for having to sign balls of uh, getting intercepted and all that type of shit. Looked like he was babysitting out there. But I I really want to just go ahead. For anyone that missed it, Dre Greenlaw intercepted Tom Brady's pass and then asked him to sign the ball after the game. And Tom Brady did, which to me was the incredible part of that story. Dre Greenlaw rightly pointed out. Doesn't hurt to ask. Worst he can tell you is no, and he went out and lived that on a big stage, so good for him. Yes, I mean, while Tom Brady's signing the ball, he has to sit there and hear Fred Warner say, hey, you got to understand, it's such an honor for us to play with you. And then he's sitting there like, I've been watching you since you was two, man. Uh, you don't understand, this is so big for me. <laughs> and you know what? I kind of appreciate everybody <laughs> having that sense of self in that place. Like, yes, that's true. These, gr- these grown men at the top of their craft and that 49ers defense being humble enough to go over there and be like, yeah, no, this is incredible that we get to play against this guy in real time. And we might be in the last couple years of being able to do that. And so doing this against a guy I watched as a kid is dope. And for Tom Brady in the middle of what's been a disaster of a season for him personally and professionally to have the wherewithal and to be a good enough dude to just go out there and be like, yeah, I'll, I'll sign the football for you. It, it, it's so football, Mike. It's this. It's, I a tear almost came to my eye, just like how. And I tweeted about this. You see people battling, like on the kickoff or punt or two linemen, and then at the end of like just like a play that looks like it can get in a fight afterwards, they help each other up or they get dap each other up. And it's like, oh man, just the love of the game. It's every Andrew Luck mic'd up soundbite. Great hit, <laughs> oh, sizzle. My <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, anyways, I wanted to clear out and actually give a rose to. Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott, Mike. Mm. I have a lot of hate for the for the, the Dallas Cowboys. And I can argue that the fact that they let the Texans, who have one win on the season, take them to the last play of the game, kind of indicative of the things I have to say negative about that team. But to orchestrate a 98-yard game-winning touchdown drive when you needed it, capped off by his best friend Ezekiel Elliott Mike after throwing two interceptions in in that game uh for Dak Prescott it just it seemed like every time Dak Prescott has one of these games the Cowboys lose so to see the Cowboys win was kind of uh inspiring when it comes to what the what they can possibly do moving forward cuz uh, they they don't have a a, a terrible uh, uh season looking forward but they do have to go through the Eagles and that game looks a little hairy for them yeah, uh, you know what? Being being at your best when your best is required is a valuable trait. Dak Prescott looked pretty off for the majority of that day, so for right. him to turn it on, scramble for some big first downs in that final drive, all of it, big ups to Dak Prescott for managing to pull that out of his ass because that's yeah. quite honestly exactly what yesterday was uh, for them. So I'm with you on that one. Um, Brandon, I will give my first rose to Caleb Williams for winning the Heisman. Uh, this yes. weekend, uh, since our last show when uh, we talked about it and your brain exploded when you figured out that I had a Heisman vote, we actually gave out the award, and 
I want to first shout out Caleb Williams for, one, bringing his entire offensive line to New York with him in the ticket allotment, and I believe getting it sponsored and shouting all of them out. He brought the top eight offensive linemen that had played and shouted them all out by name in the speech, gave them love, uh, went out and got to celebrate with them after, and did the ultimate quarterback move, which is cool because now in an NIL era where these players can actually make money, a lot of these high-end quarterbacks are going to get to show love and take care of their offensive lines the way that we've often seen uh, pro quarterbacks do. Yes, uh, Arian Foster famously got his entire offensive line segways after he had the the rushing uh, <laughs> the rushing yard, yep. whatever record for uh, the season. But yes, and also I want to shout out Caleb Williams for being what I'd have to imagine is the first college player and especially the first underclassman. Like Caleb Williams has to come back next year. The NFL requires that you have three years in college before you make that jump. He's got to be the first underclassman to win the Heisman wearing a Gucci suit. Because again, yes. Brandon, you know this. Part of one of the you know the the rites of passage of being a college athlete when we yes. were coming up used to be making whatever you could out of whatever you had when it came to the suits and Amen. trying to find some way to look fly and then watching everyone glow up the minute their agent started giving them out money before the draft so they could show up to draft day looking fresh. Now Amen. these guys' pockets are flush and they all just look draft day fresh as college players and it is jarring. Yeah, you expect it when it, when it's a uh... – it's not. It's not. A, it's not a men's warehouse suit, and you can tell. I'll say that. Yes. No. It, I mean, the only reason I knew it was Gucci is because it said Gucci on the front breastplate of it. He left no doubt yeah, on that it, front. It, it did look like it could potentially be a Burberry uh, suit, but yes. Uh. <laughs> yeah. So, congratulations to Caleb on winning that. Deserved. I, I I put out my ballot on Twitter. You get three. You get three votes. Uh, the top three they allot points differently for each vote. I had Caleb Williams at number one. I had Hendon Hooker from Tennessee at number two, and I had Blake Corum from Michigan, the running back at number three, who I thought absolutely should have been in New York. I thought both nice. of those guys got judged unfairly for injury at the end of the season. Max Duggan, by the way, from TCU. Ended up finishing second in the Heisman voting. There was a pretty sizable gap between one and two, which, as there should have been. Caleb Williams, I thought, was unquestionably the winner of this award this year. But very happy to see Max Duggan get some love for the season that he had for the Horn Frogs this year as well. Yeah, Cover 3 tweeted something very interesting. Cover 3 podcast, we've uh, mentioned them before, about the difference uh, over time that different people have won the Dave O'Brien Award and then the Heisman, the quarterbacks, the kind of back-to-back, and it was the same deal with, with D- Duggan this year around. She says she liked my Duggan, my Duggan, my Duggan. I'm fresh. <laughs> Duggan? My Duggan. Okay, uh, my rose goes to Mike White. Oh, Do you man. accept this rose? M- Miguel. This this Does Mike that rose White have guy. Have Tylenol in it? This, this this Mike this Mike White guy, Mike. I, I he's as as the New York Post article said, he's becoming an effing legend in that locker room. Like, like people are calling him an effing soldier for what he went out there and did with, while Matt Milano was sitting there just dragging him to the ground, folding him like a lawn chair over and over and over again. Uh in, in that weather, Mike, it was great to see that uh, Western Kentucky alum do his thing uh, and and kind of take hold of that that Jets starting uh, quarterback position. But outside of that, in a name doppelganger, the other Mike White, 
HBO's finest, the writer and director and creator of White Lotus, season two, season finale last night, Mike. And I mean, this one, this series focused on sex, while the last series focused on money. And uh, I think uh, I saw a tweet that they said they want to see people put in like the Olympics um, to see where the next White Lotus uh, season is held, like uh, what location it will be uh, held at. But Great series, Mike. I know you need to look at it, uh, but Mike White was doing his thing on the field. Uh, obviously, they lost that game. Uh, the Jets did. But Mike White also doing his thing writing in, 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 in the director's chair. So check out White Lotus. It was something. It was, it was sexy. It was definitely horny. Uh, but that was, the, that was the season theme was horny. Mike, Mike White Lotus. <laughs> Mike White Lotus. Take these roses. That, sh- that show definitely seems horny on Maine. That's the one thing I've been able to ascertain as an innocent bystander. It is horny on Maine. Um, uh, this season especially. Man, Mike White got his whole ass whoop yesterday. He was like he was like a that was like a Rocky movie where he would get hit so hard by Matt he got hit by Matt Milano so hard in the ribs, it looked like one of those Dragon Ball Z punches where you see the fist imprint come out of the back of someone's spine. <laughs> Yes, like when you like when you finally face Cell, and it's like, oh my god, he's kicking everyone's ass. No, I just want to run through his stat line real quick: twenty-seven of forty-four passes, two hundred and sixty-eight yards uh, through the air. Didn't turn the ball over despite getting pressured twenty times and hit seven. And we talked about how two of those were just like debilitating hits. I, I just thought he was just the like. A, a real New York quarterback. The way I like try to give Daniel Jones credit for being this like gritty, like not great at throwing the ball quarterback. Like Mike White is that. Yeah, Mike White is clearly that. If nothing else, he has my respect for being able to overcome just a sheer amount of body blows. Joe Flacco ends up throwing three passes in this game because he, Mike White had to come out for a handful of plays two separate times and just dragged himself back onto the field like Vegeta fighting Jiren at the end of the <laughs> at the end of the um, at the end of the uh, tournament of power. It oh was my God, brutal yes. to watch. Well, I, I, this is the quote that I that I saw. This was from Michael Carter from the Jets. He said, this is on Mike White. He's an effing soldier. No disrespect to Zach Wilson or Joe Flacco, but it's really cool <laughs> to play with him. I love him. <laughs> I love him. He, I was going to say, he just straight up cut out all the other shit. And he He's said, like, I love him. Listen, real spill, media, look at me. That Mike White dude. Like, I love dude. Like, like that's my guy. <laughs> I love him. Which I love also, him. what a fucked up sport where your love language is getting your shit rocked by the other team and oh my just gosh. walking back out there to take more of it. We hey, have like, a deranged brain. Yeah, they're like uh, Tua's in, in concussion protocol again. This is not – I shouldn't use that tongue-in-cheek. But he, nope. he, he, he played like that yesterday, and Collinsworth was trying to, like, big him up. And I was like, hey, how about we – Where's when yeah. do we start allotting quarterbacks for how to, to know how to slide? Yeah, it's – I mean, it's a different time, man. It truly is a different time. And so that was – I mean, you know, with Mike White, all those hits were legal. Matt Milano can – sleep soundly at night because I'm sure that's the kind of hit as a defensive player that right you lay awake at night and dream about which Oof. always seemed like an ironic phrase because you don't lay awake and dream you go to sleep and dream but <laughs> can't wake uh, up either dead. way go <laughs> uh my uh my last rose uh goes to 
Ken Niamatololo, uh, the now former head coach of Navy. Um, Navy announced after the Army-Navy game this weekend that Army won in double overtime. It was the first time in the history of that rivalry that the game had gone to overtime. This was because overtime games were only instituted, I believe, in the 90s. It used, there have been a couple of ties in the series, but this was the first overtime game. It went to double OT. Army ends up pulling this thing off. It was the first time the overs hit in like 16 years. It was a wild Damn. game. But it ended with Navy making the decision to not retain uh, Coach Ken. He's the winningest coach in program history. He went 109-83 and in 15 seasons after taking over for Paul Johnson. Back when you and I got to college, we have not known yep. in our adult lifetime Navy football without Ken Niamatololo at the helm. And that has meant a lot of winning football over the years. Navy beat us twice during our five years at Notre Dame. Beat yep. Notre Dame uh, in 2007 before Paul Johnson left as well um, for the first time in like 40 years. But this was something that I think we started to become more and more understanding was a possibility as the season went along it was an underwhelming season for navy in a lot of ways the last couple of years had sort of been trending downward but brandon uh i saw uh stephen godfried over at split zone duo uh put this out there and just wanted to echo like in playing against coach ken's teams and then getting to call games a lot of my first few games that i ever called on radio and a couple in tv were Navy games. So I got to go and do the coaches' meetings and talk to Coach Ken and talk to their staff. That is truly one of the most fundamentally decent men that has been around this sport in mm. my adult lifetime. What he meant to the young men on that team, the way that he went out there and actually lived in a way that most people just talk about. That idea of being a teacher and being a leader of men. And part of it is realizing, hey, you're at the service academies. Your job as a football coach is only so important relative to the overall mission at that place but he just really was every time I walked away from talking with him or being in a meeting you were just overcome by what a just fundamentally good human being he he went out there and was each and every day at the helm of that team he was one of the best leaders of men in that sport for the last 15 years and so that is you know as we talked about David Shaw and Stanford parting ways this season and Ken Niamatololo parting ways at Navy these are big, like foundational elements and key figures in these programs that are leaving. So, you know, uh, uh, just uh, congratulations to Coach Ken. I know it didn't end certainly uh, on his terms or the way that he wanted it to, but that's a it was a stellar tenure with so many good memories for the Naval Academy, and he is nothing but the utmost respect of a lot of people, myself included. Absolutely, Mike. Like you said, we don't know that team without him uh, playing against them and, and covering them at this point in time, but. I thought about Deion Sanders in that in that moment, talking to that Jackson uh, State team and saying you either get as a head coach, you either get elevated or terminated, and yeah. um, it's a it's a sad realization. But college football is changing a lot, and and I can't I can't I can't imagine how different it is for the service academy coaches, Mike, the Army, yeah. Navy, and as, as difficult as it is, we talk about our schedules that we have to uh, map around as athletes, and now NIL deals, people going to commercial shoots and things like that like the the real schedules for, for the army and the navy navy players like those those coaches are built differently to be able to find success within those teams based on the obligations they have off the field 
yeah, it, it, it's always been a job that requires more and an understanding that you are less in the in the grand scheme of that picture. And, and maybe nowhere in sports is that perspective more apparent than at the academies. But you mentioned how much college football is changing. I, I hope that there continues to be men like Coach Ken in and around mm. the sport because – you know, while we talk about it, and you and I are both very frank about what college football is as a business and as something that's become so much like its NFL counterpart, but if there are still going to be people out there that are, and, and again, there are plenty of coaches that are really good men and plenty of position coaches that want to go out there and do well, and even head coaches that you know aren't the ones that have risen to the top ranks that still believe in going and doing this. But Coach Ken had a massive platform being at one of the academies and having that spotlight on him. He helped elevate that spotlight with the amount of success that he had in the last 15 years, and he did it in a way that was in incredibly incredibly encouraging to watch someone be able to conduct themselves the way that he did and have the success that he did in this sport that he did. So congratulations to coach Ken, you know, this isn't, this isn't a eulogy. He's going to be around and I'm sure, you know, if he chooses, he'll still have opportunities elsewhere, but an incredible tenure for a a, a great coach and a great man uh, by all accounts uh, on this front. Uh, So those are roses. Beautiful. Lavish, illustrious roses uh, that we get to give out. But Brandon, uh, we are now at the most important juncture in this podcast where I ask you a question and watch you furiously chug water to get your vocal cords right so you can tell us, uh, Brandon, do you know what time it is? Yes, 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 yeah. Oh, yes. You know, I do. Sorry, you heard me clear my throat. Excuse me, guys. You know what time it is. It's most it's the most wonderful time of the year. It's the most wonderful time of the year. There'll be much mistletoeing and hearts will be glowing when loved ones are near. It's the most wonderful time. Yes, the most wonderful time. All the this. That and the third of the year. Brandon. (laughs) Oh my God. (sighs) That was so big and bold and bright. You king of kings. Like you, you have to feel pretty good after that one, right? Like it's not just me feeling that tingling. Um, a, a little bit, Mike. I, I didn't hear the song in my head as much as I heard the vocals, so I'm worried about how it's going to sync up when I lay the track under it. But I, I do, I do feel comfortable with the vocal range at this point in time. My nose being quietly stuffed, and it being December, you know, middle of December, and I can't wait for the Hanukkah songs to start. That is true. They're going to be fantastic. As always, download, subscribe, rate, review, Gojo. Leave us that five-star rating. Commend Brandon for his efforts on this, that, and the third. And at Gojo (laughs) Show on Twitter, make sure you show him some love there. Brandon executed his part of this. I managed to fail, Brandon, because I forgot that we have to also uh, show some love to ourselves on the betting front over the weekend. We'll do it quickly before we move to this, that, and the third. I had my best weekend of picks, and I was just going to brush it aside on a Monday. I went 5-1 and one this weekend. Balled out outrageous now that I got crazy, chaotic college football out of the way. 
I was going to say, I think it's it's your own fault because the how you want to bet college football, one of the most unstable things to bet on, your picks got better. And they did. And uh, college football, we only had the Army-Navy game. Obviously, the over-under was the story of the day, but I thought, why not take Army plus two and a half just as a nod to uh, our friend Captain Cons? And they came through, got the win there. Lions-Vikings over 52 got the win. San Fran minus three, a boat racing. Philly minus seven, a boat racing. Carolina, that weird plus four line. Shout out yeah. to Scott Van Pelt for putting me on game on that one. The only loss was the Chiefs-Broncos under 44. That one almost hit hit in the first half so Brandon uh five and one on the weekend for me now 40 48 and three on the season overall so we got a chance to get hot down the end of the stretch here don't let your boy get hot Brandon stocking stuffers 500 this weekend not bad yeah no it's six and six I was gonna I was gonna say that you're close to that 500 which is very impressive compared to how many picks you've made but that Jacksonville plus four at Tennessee always felt good uh your dad asked me do I imagine the Jacksonville Jaguars beating them I did and they did um that plus four is safe but then I lost the way you lost Mike betting on that damn Kansas City Denver game where Russell Wilson decided to put on a show uh out of nowhere and, and score points so yes they were I think Kansas City minus nine was the line, and I think that Denver ended up getting as close as seven. Can't believe it. But, uh, yeah, so six and six, stocking stuffers. Yeah, that was amazing to watch in that game there. Russell Wilson, who ended up leaving that game in the concussion protocol because that team apparently just can't have nice things ever at this season. No, um, no. But I will, let me say before we move off, I think that's it's going to be good for him and the Denver Broncos because I feel like the Broncos country was not ready to ride with Russell Wilson. You throw yourself into a concussion protocol because of a play, I think they'll get behind you. My God. All right, let's ride to this, that, and the third uh, and, and get to this now. And we'll throttle down for a second here, Brandon, as we're going to – and you know, this is one of those situations where – you know, whenever you listen to this podcast, hopefully the news is good on this front because last night uh, during Sunday Night Football started to see a lot of news trickle in about Mississippi State head football coach Mike Leach who was hospitalized Sunday after suffering what was described as a personal health issue at home earlier in the day according to the university in a news release. He was transported by ambulance to the University of Mississippi Medical Center in Jackson after having an issue at home. The university said it would have no further comment at this time other to say that their thoughts and prayers of the university are with Mike and his wife Sharon and their family and Brandon I I mean scary stuff we you know you hear a lot of whispers and and things around this situation but none of which is 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 enough to go forward what needs to be important in this situation is that you know we are all sending you know positive thoughts prayers energy whatever you you ascribe to uh, to Mike Leach and his family because this was something that was kind of scary and seemed to come out of nowhere for a lot of us and uh you know it, it sounded like the situation was very serious and we hope that as we start the early portion of this week that there's good news that follows and Mike Leach is able to make a covery and forget football or whatever it means there for a guy who's been one of the central most entertaining and and most unique figures in the sport for some time you also hope that for his family his loved ones who are both on and off the field in a coaching tree that he's helped create all around football that they get to see their friend get back on the mend and get back healthy. Absolutely, Mike. You you saw tweets of media members saying they just celebrated a holiday party uh, the day before and can't believe it. And uh, you know, we you never know what can happen, but we we hope for the best for for him and that staff and that that team. 
Yep, Mike Leach, 61 years old in his third year at Mississippi State. And so, again, uh, we will keep you updated as the week goes along, but there's a chance that by the time you're listening to this podcast, we hopefully have more information on the positive end uh, about Mike Leach and, and what's to come here uh, as, as our thoughts and prayers certainly here are with him and his family and hoping that there is a, a speedy recovery and turnaround with this situation. Um Brandon, uh, let's move back into the world of sports and get to that from this weekend. Um, uh, we had the match go on this weekend. Tiger Woods, Rory McIlroy, uh, Justin Thomas and company. Uh, I didn't see any of it. It was weird timing uh, and one of those where I, I – because usually the match had taken place around Thanksgiving where there had been a little bit more free time, I feel like, at least what I remember anecdotally. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm thinking they might be trying to stuff two matches in in, in a calendar year. They trying to sneak one by us because I'm pretty sure it usually happens when the I guess maybe it's different people that are around it because when it's football season ends, that's when the f- quarterbacks play, and I guess now they're doing it with other people. Yeah, so this one they went back. Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth played against Tiger Woods and Rory. Uh, Thomas and Spieth absolutely routed them in this one. So it was like true golf one. And we know for, you know, for Rory and for Tiger, part of this is also continuing to draw attention to the golfers that are a part of this tour and not the live tour, mm-hmm. all of those things. So Tiger Woods, who's lucky to be walking around and even moving and swinging a club at this point, we're all happy to just see that and see him upright and healthy. You know, that was the story of all this. It had nothing to do with him actually winning in the golf, but Brandon, right. all of this is a way to remind people as we go forward and see this version of Tiger Woods, you know, likely for the rest of his career, especially his public facing career. I saw this stat that popped up over the weekend about uh, the two. Justin Ray, uh, who is the head of content at 21st Group and uh, has also worked around covering golf, tweeted out, that Rory McIlroy is the current world number one and has the fo- fourth most weeks all time as the OWGR number one at 113 weeks, ranked at number one at the top of the poll. If he remained number one from now through the middle of January of 2030, he would still be 200 weeks shy of matching Tiger Woods' record of 683 weeks as the number one ranked golfer in the world. God damn. It it just, it's one of those things I think even I forget. We grew up during the prime of Tiger Woods, and even now I forget just how overwhelming he was for so long. Yes, yes. And it's one of those, and you shouldn't apples to oranges this, but it's one of those stats that reminds me that Tiger Woods is more in the Jordan range than the LeBron range (laughs) or the Messi range of things. Like it's. The dominance over time, he was so young, and we just didn't know. Like, there was, I can't, I wasn't watching, so I didn't feel it, but I did, I felt it culturally. It, it, it was, it was an utter phenomenon. It was wave after wave. He felt it was the Thanos. Tiger Woods was inevitable yes. for so much yes. of my young life and into my adult life. And that stat was a reminder of just what a devastating force he was for so long. Uh, Brandon, let's get to the third, uh, the third twitter.com, which has been the source of a lot of volatility and unrest in the last few weeks. Uh, got a confirmation. Uh, Elon Musk responded to a tweet, uh, confirming that Twitter's character limit will be set to increase from 280 to 4,000 characters allowed per tweet. 
Now, back when a re- I believe around the time you and I were in college or a little after, Twitter increased its character limit from 140 to 280. People might yes. not remember that at this point. Brandon, 4,000 characters. It seems like all of Twitter is getting set to become that meme of, I'm sorry, I'm not reading all that, but congratulations, or I'm sorry that happened to you. I, I <laughs> de- like definitely like, t- uh, was it TLDR? TLDR. T- TLDR, like I've never really, uh, I've never really appreciated t- TLDR because I just think it's rude. But uh, I do think that's the case for Twitter a lot, especially when it comes to these articles with these headlines that give me everything I need to know before I push retweet. So I I don't know if this is a genius move or a self-sabotaging move, Mike, because I can see a lot of people getting off of this app and then just going to Audible or whatever else they get through. (laughs) First, they have they have words read to them instead of having to sit there and read words because it sounds like Elon Musk has plans to make uh, Twitter Apple News and then the writers are just everyone. Brandon, you know what I just realized? This is going to be the end of what? Pour one out for the Notes app. <gasps> notes app apologies wow. on Twitter. Yes, thing of the past. Shot. Yep. Damn, I never tr- even got one. Mike, you have no idea. I've been fantasizing about putting one of those out for a very long time. And I just haven't found the time or the subject matter to throw it out there. Brandon, I think now's the time. I think you just have to put one out today. Like, find something in your life that you want to apologize for <laughs> and get it off now. You know what? At Gojo Show on Twitter, if you've got anything that you want to apologize for and use the Notes app while it's still a viable form of social media apologies, yes. go ahead and get it off because soon you're going to have 4,000 characters that renders that meaningless. Like, part of I wanted to make a point about how I think Elon Musk is trying to reverse engineer long attention spans and reading. By doing this, mm. there was a trend going on for a while when people were trying to kind of subvert Elon where they would post clips of entire movies threaded on Twitter. And now you can do that in theory with entire books. And Ooh. maybe it forces us to read more. But I think the far bigger takeaway is that the Notes app will now lose its storied place in the zeitgeist. So uh, at Gojo Show on Twitter, again, we accept any and all of your Notes app apologies in this meantime. We hope that you don't feel like we have to apologize for anything we said on this show. If you do, all complaints directed uh, by downloading and subscribing, rating and reviewing Gojo, leaving us a five-star rating, and then putting your complaint there must be accompanied by a five-star rating. You can also check us out on the DraftKings YouTube channel under the Gojo with Michael Jr. tab. Thanks so much. Enjoy Monday Night Football. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Boom. Money in the bank. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.